that that I would say that would be one of the moments where I I felt like I didn't feel like a man. I'm like, man, I feel like I feel far from a man right now. My name is Will Small. I'm a husband and a dad. And for the sake of my family and my community, I want to be a healthy man. Images on magazines would lead me to believe that means having ripped abs and a good paycheck. But I'm not satisfied with that story. Are you? Join me and my guests as we explore the idea of healthy manhood in the modern world. This is the Mankind Podcast. That voice right there is my friend Chang Po Ching killing it on The Voice back in 2018. But Chang is a lot more than an angelic voice. He is also a youth worker. He's somebody with an incredible heart for his local community. He's a dad, a husband, and above all of those things, he's somebody with a really interesting cultural mix. You'll hear how he introduces himself in a minute. Chang is one of my favorite humans, but he's also somebody I wanted to chat to about how manhood and masculinity look for people who grow up between different cultures. It's just too easy to forget that our normal is not everyone's normal. And so when we compare the stories of manhood and masculinity across cultures and generations, there's so much to learn if we have eyes to see it. Chang Po Ching, my brother. What's from good, another man, mother? Yeah. <laughs> brother from a different color. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, so good to see you, man. It's been a long time. Likewise, brother. People might know you from uh, from The Voice, but if you would introduce yourself, stranger, I'm meeting yeah. you for the first time. Give me the give me the details. This is dangerous. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> In many circles, I often introduce myself as the brown guy with the Asian name. Born in New Zealand with an Australian passport and Samoan parents. <laughs> so, That's a great introduction. <laughs> it's a good conversation starter. Yeah, let's let's unpack it a little bit more. So yeah. there's the one sentence version. Yeah. What's tell me a little bit more about this complex cocktail that has made yeah. this beautiful human in front of me? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so my great grandfather, who was the original Chang Po Ching of the Po Ching clan. Uh, as we know it, sailed from, well, the, the the legend has it, the family legend, that he sailed with his brother amongst many other um, Chinamen to the Pacific Islands where they all scattered. So this was believed to be in the early 1900s. And so our great-grandfather, who was 100% Chinese, married a Samoan lady who then had some half Samoan and half Chinese babies who then had some more Samoan babies, one of which was my father. And then I was his second in line. And so, yeah, moved to New Zealand in uh, 89. And then I was born in 91, moved over to Australia in 99. And then, uh, yeah, been here ever since and call Australia home. I mean, I still go for every New Zealand team that's out there, but I'm a, I'm a proud Australian for sure. Yeah. Man, I and love married, it. Married, ma- <laughs> married a, an Australian girl as well. So typical Samoan. Well, I'm excited. I, I want to talk to you, you know, talk about a few things, but 
in particular, I'd love to just talk to you about the idea of multicultural manhood. Oh. You know, I've been having these conversations about, mm. about manhood and about masculinity, and, uh, but they're like boxes right. that we try and put people in. But, yeah. you know, every generation is going to have a different understanding of those things. And every culture is going to have like a slightly nuanced understanding of those things. Yeah. And so to talk to someone like you who's kind of in touch with your roots but also has this beautiful, rich coming together of different stories, different narratives, mm. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about some of the things you see across those different, you know, cultures in terms of yeah. manhood. Thank you. Likewise. Take me back a bit to like like the early years of your life. What, what was, uh, you know, your childhood like? So we grew up. Well, I grew up in South Auckland, New Zealand, where all the greats are born. Yeah. <laughs> we often joke about it. We, we moved from South Auckland to South Auckland when we moved to Logan, which is where I still <laughs> loud and proud live. And so, um, yeah, we grew up around a pretty mixed area, uh, Pacific Islander driven for sure. Yeah, public schools. We didn't wear, I went to Koru Primary where we had no uniforms. And so um, grew up in a very strict, traditional I would I would probably say conservative Christian family at the time, um, and so we were at home. One of the home rules was we had to speak Samoan, and so we, myself and my older sister, uh, speak fluent Samoan. And um, I mean, actually, a lot of my other brothers and sisters speak fluent Samoan too. But they are our technically they're my first cousins, but they were adopted into the family from from Samoa. So, and they're all technically my mum's siblings' kids. Right. And so, but for myself and my older sister, my biological sister, we, yeah, we were, we had to speak Samoan in our household, which we hated at the time. <laughs> but look, looking back, we're so grateful because the amount of Samoans that we know and our cousins, first cousins that live outside of Samoa that cannot speak let alone understand is yeah it's pretty sad nowadays but um mm. so we grew up learning someone songs uh someone stories legends uh someone uh yeah someone traditions whether it was learn how to make certain foods i mean i wasn't one of them <laughs> my <laughs> wife will tell you my mom didn't teach me anything in the kitchen <laughs> right but but i also think that's a product of uh of our tradition growing up or what was our tradition and so it's a bit different now my younger siblings yeah, much better cooks than I, I was and am. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, long story short, I'd say, yeah, that's a little snapshot of what it was like. So, Yeah, wow. So the way I think of it, manhood is a story. Yeah. You know, or masculine is a story. Feminine is a story. Yeah. Australian is a story. Mm. And actually they're all lots of stories depending on who oh. you're asking. But they're, so these, true. they're these stories that we learn to live into. And we learn that, okay, this is my, these are my lines and this is the cue where I can say this and this is my role. And, you know, in terms of, um, yeah, growing up in New Zealand and with that strong Samoan family heritage, Mm. what were some of the stories, you know, you've already mentioned kind of legends and things like that, but what were some of the stories around what it meant to grow up, you know, to become a man, Mm. you know, as who you, who you are? Yeah. One of the stories, well, for my father, his father, wasn't there his my dad's dad left them him when he was pretty young but i think in his early 20s but one of the things that i picked up from a young age or just kind of always knew was that you were always present like a as a father you always had to be present and i 
I was quite thankful to have that mm. father figure in my life. And still to this day, he's, he's very present and very involved or concerned. Or mm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there was never that conversation. I've, I mean, I've never had that conversation to this day of, of myself and my dad, like him spelling it out, like this is what it is to be a man. Like sure. we never had that. But um, in our culture, like it's, you know, like like we say in English, like actions speak louder than words. My dad was always, my dad was a hard worker. Mm. And so that's something that I always knew to the point where I kind of just adapted that to my life because people often talk to me about how I'm so busy. But for me, it's so normal because I saw my family be busy when they were growing up and it, it didn't seem to affect them from the way that I observed it didn't affect them, you know, mentally or spiritually, right. physically. I always saw them, whether it was moving, helping people, um, just, yeah, sharing love for the neighbor or, you know, people down the road or just visiting family that mm. thankfully live just streets away. Mm. And so, but yeah, I often talk about um, the three Ps uh, when I talk about, I guess, being a parent, but I, I have my culture to thank. And yeah, that first P is being a protector and then a provider and then being, yeah, someone that's present. Mm, I love and that. So, but the fourth P I'd probably throw there on top if I was to ever talk about it again would be like the prominent voice that um, though my, my dad was always the prominent voice in our family growing up and yeah, for, for good, for better and worse actually. Right. <laughs> but um, I'm sure we'll touch on that. But um, yeah, like, Traditionally, you know, some uh, households, you know, the, the the man is the head of the house. But culturally as well, the women get the final word. And it's the women who, you know, really, you know, sweeten the words or, you know, change mm. the mood of, of the household. And so, yeah, my dad was also one that always listened to mom. Yeah, <laughs> and that right. was something that I observed. So I've always been a, a better listener for it. Yeah, that reminds me of. One of the other interviews I did was with a guy named Rob Waters. If people are listening, mm. Rob's episode is really worth going back and listening yeah, to. Awesome. A great guy. He's a Gumaroy man, Indigenous, you know, Australian, and he um, he talked about his grandparents and how uh, they were quite involved in the community, leaders, you know, in many ways. But he talked about how, like, if their his granddad made any decision, it was like his granddad was the head, but right. grandma was the neck. Like yeah, he didn't yeah, turn totally. left if she didn't say turn left or, you know, That's that right. kind of thing. So there's sort of like this picture of like there's some of that traditional, yeah. um, mm. you know, male leadership, but actually quite different because it's, nah, actually this is really a shared leadership where these right. roles are kind of going together. I mean, you kind of touched on it there, you know, there's there's a positive there, but there's also potentially a negative and everything is like a double-edged sword, right? Like all a lot of those traditional ideas we have around manhood, they're not like... Yeah. Uh, purely good or bad they're double-edged right right? like it's a good thing to be to be a provider Mm -hmm. but it's a bad thing if you think that you're somehow superior and you're you're, you know you have to be the breadwinner and your wife just has to stay home and look after the kids when you know so there's there's all this double-edged kind of nature of it Mm -hmm. which is part of why I think the conversation these days is so tricky because it's like we've kind of deconstructed and our culture does a lot of like taking apart what was negative, right. yeah. but we haven't necessarily done a lot of reconstructing mm. and figuring out, well, what's a bigger and better version of this? The big, 
biggest uh, thing I'm grateful for, um, which I guess is reflected in many other Pacific Islander cultures or Melanesian cultures, is that kind of respect for others and respect particularly for elders. And there's often that reverence and respect. And so traditionally, you know, you respect you respect the preacher, you respect the person of position, you respect the politician, even if they aren't great human beings, but you respect the position. Right. Because somehow they worked hard to be there. Um, not just that they technically have authority, but, um, yeah, that was something that I, I was appreciative of. But at the same time, you know, you can grow up in Islander families and your parents can be like, you know, you'll be raised in a way of like, you know, stand up for those that can't speak for themselves, you know, be the hope to the hopeless, you know, um, use your voice. If you have a voice, stand up. But, <laughs> and then the part that they don't say, it's like, but if you stand up in this house and raise your voice, that's disrespectful. <laughs> and so that, that would be the other side of the sword. It's like, you know, that fine line between raising men, but still, you know, still, I'm still, treating them like boys, little boys. And so I would right. say that, yeah, that was that was one of the things. And it's one of the things that we often talk about with my other Samoan brothers and sisters, uh, you know, or, or we get, you know, we get told that, you know, we love you, we want you to be happy, um, we want you guys to fly. And every parent, obviously, who is loving and appreciative wants their kid to succeed in life. But we talk about how, Oftentimes, you know, your parents will open the window and let it go, but there's still like a leash attached, you know. Right. It's yeah. like, no, no, we want you to succeed, but but wait on these conditions. <laughs> and um, so I would say that that would be, yeah, as much as I'm grateful for those things, they, they definitely raised many questions for myself when I left the nest. Mm. Um, and then even for my wife, who <laughs> raised many questions um, when we, yeah, entered a relationship and, um, yeah. Entered, uh, entered into marriage as well, yeah. long story short. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good picture of uh, like there's a, that's a good picture of the cultural context in terms of like the like window and like right. fly, fly free except <laughs> yeah. I've still got this, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've still got a string attached to pull you back. Yeah. Yeah. But I think probably that's like a good picture of like generations as well because right. like we, you know, I know that my kids are going to think that some stuff about our generation, like right. we, we mess some stuff up. Yeah. Um, but we think that about our parents' generation mm. and there's kind of this desire to like go further than us, become yeah. better than us. But at the yeah. same time, we know what's up because we're doing it better than our parents did. So, right. you know, just <laughs> roughly stay within, you know, this kind of radius. That's it. Maybe that's unavoidable and it's yeah. just part of, you know, like this kind of tug of war between wanting mm. to empower the next generation but also wanting to maybe be be kind of protective in, in yeah. one sense. Part of that. Um, analogy also for me would be or and, and it has been over time that how can we share the slack for both ends and, yeah. and find the um, yeah the beauty in, in the rope being there like whether it whether that rope is tradition or culture or freedom you know mm. sometimes freedom comes with a leash but um, yeah that's that's what I think for many islanders are finding now is yeah how can we appreciate that fine line between mm. Yeah, being married to the family, but now being married to something else. And I think that honoring honoring elders mm. or honoring past generations or like um, 
like, yeah, uh, maybe it's just my context, but as like an Australian millennial who feels like I just grew up in a bubble, Mm. part of that, that sort of bubble feels like we just do not care about what came before us. We don't care about our grandparents or, you know, I'm speaking kind of personally, but I feel like it's a bit of a generational, just like, you know, we know better. But (laughs) I I feel like what I'm hearing is something that I could use a bit more of that story of like, actually, Mm. no, sit down with people that have lived before you. Mm. And uh, like C.S. Lewis talks about chronological snobbery. He talks about this idea that because you're at a certain point in history, you think that you are superior to every other period of history Mm. when you can go back throughout history and find people that had more progressive and advanced and beautiful ideals than people you might find living on your street today, maybe than you, and vice versa. You go back through history and you see plenty of stuff that you don't want to repeat. But, like, as much as we progress, there's always wisdom in the history books, right? Mm. Um, So, yeah, that tug of war between honouring what's come before while moving forward, Mm. tricky thing to do, but probably the only way to do it, right? Like yeah, that's you know, right. holding the tension. Yeah. Speaking of tension, like, did you feel like, you know, when you moved to Logan, mm. um, you know, started going to school in, in Australia, for example, obviously yeah. it's not that, you know, far away from New Zealand, but did you, did you kind of notice some different expectations or some different kind of understandings of, yeah, again, what it meant to grow up, be a man? Yeah. Um, well, it was interesting that I found a lot of my friends, whether it was in high school or in primary school, that that they were the man of the house. You know, whether it was due to their father not being present at all, or their father being there but not really there, mm. um, and a mixture of them having full freedom to do whatever they wanted, um, definitely was kind of at, in my face. Like, oh man, this is this is crazy. And then being men in in the playground, like at school growing up, like, mm. you know, it, back in New Zealand, we used to just get together. We used to laugh, like, you know, scab each other's food or like, you know, like talk about our parents' cookings or compare hidings to each other. And then like, I remember one time I tried to do that <laughs> with one of my Aussie friends and he was just like, man, that's that's wrong. That's illegal. You, right. <laughs> you, could, um, you could charge your parents for that. And we're like, what? charge them like what police <laughs> like and um yeah just just the cultural differences even with like having a meal at the table with your whole family and then eating whatever you wanted and then just going in the fridge and helping yourself to anybody's food or just having food that was labeled man like that was interesting for me um mm. And then the phrase of just, oh, you are your own man, you know, be, be a man, be a man. Like I never heard that. Like, well, I'm not sure if it's because I moved over when I was about nine years old. So I'm not sure whether it was always around, but I didn't notice it till I was like in my teens. Like, oh, man, you're, you're your right. own man. Like, be, just be a man. Like, don't. another thing that I'm grateful for, but like at the same time it bit me, was that I always sought my parents' approval. Mm. And um, because I respected them and because – you know, they were the source of everything for me growing up. Mm. And so I just naturally, even when I didn't need to or I never needed their permission, that was one thing that I just always went to. But I know that 
growing up, even, yeah, like I said, in primary school here in Australia, I was like, man, these kids don't need permission. They're, like they don't need, um, they need, they don't need to seek approval. Not that that's how I processed it at the time, but um, I recognized that as a huge difference for me and, and my circle of friends. Not to say that that was for every family, but sure. um, yeah, definitely a distinct thing when, when we moved over from New Zealand. Yeah. You definitely seem, you know, from, from my knowledge of you and my interactions with you, um, I, mean, I just think you're a great dude, but you seem to have a, a strong sense of self-assuredness, you know, kind of a, a security in, in who you are and, you know, in being not just a man but, but the man that you are. Did you have times growing up between different cultures um, where you felt a little bit like, it was hard to have that strong identity, you know, like did they yeah. feel like a bit of a, well, where do I fit amongst these different labels or, mm. yeah, tell, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I mean, I'll, I had family members in New, in New Zealand who were part of like, you know, negative lifestyles and some got into gangs and, and even there was definitely an identity crisis for me through my teens and it wasn't so much me trying not to be myself but I think living in the skin of others or mm. like um, you know living in the skin of my parents or living in the skins of, of my tradition when my reality in front of me was far from that or, or didn't didn't seem to like blend well mm. and so um, yeah I mean grow, like I said growing up in a strict family we didn't we didn't uh, my parents didn't drink alcohol growing up you know, go, even to the point where growing up in New Zealand, we, we weren't allowed to go to movies because that was like unholy. You know, right. we were that conservative. And so, but the first people that took us to the movies were like some of the president of like pastors right. <laughs> here in Australia. And then I was like, see, see. <laughs> and as little kids were like, oh, show me the verse, show me the verse. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting what we, what we usually turn to for worth and, you know, where we get our, yeah, our worth from. And, um, yeah, that definitely shook me, um, in my teens, but also like later on in life, like, like only a few years ago, like just, you know, dealing with mental health issues, um, and depression and just like medicating on alcohol or just mm. not, not so much that it was my identity crisis, but I, I think it was a mixture of just, you know whether whether it's taken on too much, not not sharing enough about my own insecurities. Because I mean, I didn't even mention it at the start, but I was born with one eye in New Zealand, um, at birth, and so even the story with that is like my parents said, um, you know, I was born with two eyes, and family, you know, said I was born with two eyes, and then it was like days after, um, the nurse took me for a bath, came back, I was asleep, and then I woke up, and only one of my eyes opened. And then the other eye seemed like it had like stuff in it. And so they were saying it was like cataract issues, um, genetic issues, like, but it was always unexplained. Right. And so this was in like within two years of um, them moving to New Zealand. Um, and so they were like, you know, simple people like, oh, no, we, we're not going to find anyone or sue people. Like, and they didn't even know where to begin. Like, and so, mm. yeah, growing up, I, yeah, I've always had vision in my left eye. Like I can only see out of one eye. And I think that was definitely a big part of it was we talked about it in a sense of like how it happened, but I feel like in not, not even just with my family, but in my general circle, we, we didn't talk about it enough about how that made me feel. Mm. And that, that kind of became 
a message, you know, that I carry with me uh, in my line of work, whether it's, you know, it's part of my story. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, you're, you know, that one situation is just a, a stone to your story, you know. And, um, but, yeah, I would say that that definitely played a part in regards to being a man because, I mean, I, I hardly saw my dad cry. I hardly saw my dad in a vulnerable vulnerable place that he would talk about what it was like, whether it was, you know, his dad leaving him or whatever, like traumatic experiences. But, um, yeah, but it wasn't like a thing that was for us to shy away from at the same time. I mean, at the same time, we were very open. Being Pacific Islander, we, we did to try to talk about everything and, you know, create open spaces. But um, I think definitely for me, uh, that trapped me for sure because I – just a typical carer, you know, you care about everybody else instead of yourself or you're the last person mm. or, you know, whether whether it's as simple as like taking time out for yourself or like, you know, have you checked in with yourself? And so me and uh, I've got some close mates that we ask each other, you know, how are you doing or how are you going like three times? Because, you know, often it's the third time mm. that you ask it, they'll actually be like, oh, okay. I love that, man. As a practical thing, I can immediately see how that would make a difference because, you know, the first time you ask... How you doing? You just it's just autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. And everybody asks that, right? Like yeah. whether you know them or like just met them for yeah. the first time. And it's the script. Like this is you right. know, we have these scripted moments where like you're kind of not allowed to answer that the first time and say, I'm shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, exactly. It's just a massive downer. But if somebody asks it a second or a third time, then it's like actually no, like you really have permission to tell me how you really are. Cause I'm not yeah. just we're not just following the the small right. talk script yeah i love that man i might i might try that both with yeah. myself and and with my friends yeah which is yeah, one of the other things i wanted to pick up on there like i appreciate you being open about mental health stuff and, mm. you know, just actually getting into a place where you needed to process some of that, that real stuff. Yeah. And obviously there's kind of that stereotype and maybe that, maybe that generational baggage around men not feeling comfortable opening up, you know, actually talking about their feelings or talking about their struggles. Have there been things that have helped you to do that? Have there mm. been spaces or people or kind of particular things like you just said the three times thing that have yeah. helped you to actually yeah get open about what's going on on the inside yeah thankfully um yeah where, with where i'm at now is yeah definitely got a space of brothers that i that we all turn to and we try to make the most of it and you know for for a lot of them they're still working through how to be open in the best way that they can be and then yeah talk i, I see a, a counselor every week and so or we try to, we try to meet every week. And, um, and yeah, just even sharing that with people, it's like, you know, you don't have to be going through a crazy bad time to mm. like, so you don't see a counselor. It's just actually, it's just healthy and yeah. it's healthy and it just benefits you. You know, you, you don't have to be at risk physically to see a physicist, but a physician, but hey, it, it helps to see one yeah, just to check sure. in. And, and then obviously for me, where, where I was at, like, I, I just want to make sure that, that my borders are strong, you know, and that, that I am moving, that I'm not falling numb to, to harmful things that may be harmful to me. And I may not realize because a lot of the times I have dealt with so many issues in the past, or I felt like I've overcome so much 
but then I won't realize it when it meets me again because I may not recognize it in the same light. There's two episodes of this podcast speaking to my counselor that huh, I see nice. as a counselor, and I'm like, man, we we got to like talk to more people <laughs> because, yeah, it's so healthy. And yeah. like you said, you don't have to be in a crisis, and yeah. often you don't know. I find that often. You need somebody to ask you the right questions to help you yeah. kind of find out what's going on beneath the iceberg. Someone who can help you realize what's going on beneath the surface. You might feel like my yeah. classic example is I get angry because the house is untidy, but I'm right. actually really upset because I'm losing my patience with my right. kids yeah. more than I would yeah. like to. Yeah. So I blame <laughs> yeah. it on, oh, there's Lego around the house. <laughs> Yeah, but actually, I'm I'm internally ashamed mm. that I'm not being, you know, as calm and patient right. and zen as I would like yeah. to with my kids. But you know what I mean? Like, you need yeah. as a that's a bit of a long winded way to say. No, no. Sometimes you need someone to help you get a bit deeper than that yeah. surface level right. diagnosis of what you think is going on. Totally. And I often say as well, like, you know, it's good to take up a hobby that's, you mm. know, not harmful to others. You know, that's not robbing banks <laughs> or committing <laughs> crimes because, you know, I'm sure that can be fun too. But, um, and so for me, you know, I exercise, I've tried to exercise daily, but um, it's the, the funnest thing that I do with my wife that we both look forward to together and we both train together. We both go to the same gym. Uh, it's a CrossFit gym. So, you know, we're constantly trying to hit goals together. Yeah. Um, so I encourage people to do that. And naturally my, my craft is music. So, I mean, not that I've been doing that well performing, uh, since COVID, but, um, yeah, I often encourage people to like pick up a hobby, pick up, you know, something that affects your body in, in a positive way, whether it's exercise or yeah, music, art, some sort of, you know, creative element that kind of puts you into outer space, you know, out of this body, out of your head. Because mm. for me, at times, it's easy to say that I was doing all right because I'm playing music, I'm doing what I love. But then half the time I would be performing, I'm like, man, this is boring. <laughs> I'm mm. singing the same love song for another wedding. And I was like, man, weddings used to be beautiful. <laughs> right. And, and then I guess not so much that the novelty wore away, but it was just that it was my own inner passion for, you know, for my project and craft that I just kind of didn't use as an outlet, you know. I stopped writing songs, you know, I stopped just doodling, fiddling on the guitar. I stopped um, trying to come up with new progressions. Those, all of those things that were part of my craft, you know, my craft was never just about learning a particular song, word for word, structure, like black and white and performing it with perfection because <laughs> I didn't want to stuff up the waltz or the first dance. And so, but yeah, I would say even if you think your outlet is creative, but or, you know, you might be a personal trainer and you're like, oh, no, I, I love what I do, but still being able to switch off and mm. switch on. Because that was one of my hard things too was because I do so many different jobs, you know, it's, it's hard to just switch off. And one of the hardest places for me to switch off was coming here at home because, mm. you know, how do I just turn off? How, how do I just turn back on being a dad when I just got yeah. like the stories of heartache and pain or loss of, of a young person that I've just spent two hours with that, doesn't know where he's going to get his next meal and, you know, mm. thinking that that crime is the next option because he doesn't have a resume, never had a job, like has a bad record. And so, and, you know, there's a lot of things that we are just expected to leave at the door. So it's how can we do it in a healthy way of like transitioning or yeah. like handing over that heaviness. 
Yeah, that's so good, man. So true. Yeah, it's a, a lot of that's a good reminder to me because I feel the same. I got lots of different mm. contexts. I wear lots of different hats, yeah. and um, you know, um, um, none of us are invincible. Yeah. None of us are superhuman, and we need yeah. some things that you know fill us up again, or that allow yeah. us to not just carry yeah. carry the weight of the world for others or for mm. ourselves, but to actually kind of put some of that stuff down for a bit. So yeah, man, love what you're sharing. Um, there's so many things we could talk about. I feel like I could, yeah. do, I could do a whole season of this podcast with you, Chang, <laughs> <laughs> and it would be it would be dope. I don't know if other uh, people would be enjoying it, but I would be loving it. <laughs> hey, but while I'm enjoying this, man, this is refreshing for me, so thank you. We haven't talked about it at all yet, but you yeah. know, we both, uh, we might have touched on it here and there, but we both have sons very similar yes. age, yep. like almost exactly, uh, yeah. like a <laughs> kind of four-and-a-half-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old. Like I, for me, that was one of the biggest game changers in terms right. of how I thought about manhood, masculinity, yeah. I don't know, everything really. Like yeah. becoming a parent, just like you, you come undone <laughs> yeah, and then you got to rebuild. <laughs> it's true. Like I, we joke about it, but, you know, the amount of times I've said to other fa- fellow fathers, like, man, it exposes you. Yeah. Like you think you're patient? Have a kid, you know. You think <laughs> you think you can handle stress, man. Have yeah. you think you're you think you're the biggest one for me? You think you're busy, yeah. Have have oh, a kid for sure. <laughs> how has becoming a dad shaped or shifted how you think about masculinity, manhood, or just the broader set of values that you want to live out of? I think um, well, there's so many, but one that definitely still comes up at times with people is like, cause I, because of the works, uh, different work that I'm involved in, I I'm home a lot. So I'm able to be here more for the boys, um, than my wife is. And so a lot of people always say to my wife and I'm, I'm not in those conversations all the time, but when, um, when I'm talking with my wife, she'll say, Oh man, all, I'm sick of all of these, all of these women telling me how great you are. Like you're, you're always present and you're always there for this, for our sons. And then for me, it's like, yeah, no, it's true. Like I get the same from my, from even some of my boys that have kids. Like, man, you're so you're better dad than us because you're more present. But it's, and it, it and it's a joke at times. Like, oh man, you're you're the best um, housewife. Like you're you're the greatest like housewife in the world. You know, um, but I'm like, man, we we we're, we're living in a different day. Plus, we're living in a time now where we should be able to not just share equally our responsibilities, but we you know women can do what guys can do and guys can do what women do that were traditional responsibilities for them once upon a time and so sure. to the point where i'm like man i i used to get so angry but then i just got over it cuz you know that's all you can do sometimes is when um man i used to get dirty looks like when i go into parent rooms cuz i'd be the only guy mm. like ch- changing my son changing and um that that i would say that would be one of the moments where I, I felt like I didn't feel like a man. I'm like, man, I feel like I feel far from a man right now. Right. And they wouldn't even give me dirty looks, but you could just feel it. Or they'd, they'd look twice or three times like, what are you doing in here? Like, you know, and it's a changing room like for parents and clearly says parents, but it's like, because it's, you know, whether I just happen to be at that particular shopping center, that's just 98% mothers on that particular <laughs> hour five times a week <laughs> and um, 
yeah, it was interesting to see that, like that perspective from both ends. Mm. Like, and um, that was very interesting for me to the point where if I went to that, there were some places that only had a changing table within a female um, restroom. And I, I struggled the first year just finding male restrooms Mm. Um, and because not all shopping centers, and it's probably different now, but not all shopping centers that I went to had parent rooms for mm. everybody. Mm. And so I guess my manhood got tested in a way of like, man, what does it even mean to be a man when like I can't even do like, you know, because for all for me, it's like when you think as a father, you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm here for my boys and I'll do whatever it takes to be there for my boys. And so if that means changing their diaper, changing their nappies in a public space well, within a restroom, then I'll do that. But then when mm. I got those looks, I was like, okay, am I not doing this parenting thing right? <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or, or it's like to the point where like, should I just wait till I get to the car and like unload all the shopping and do it in the back seat, Or, or do I really have to wait till I get home to do, to change my own kid? It's so and, interesting, um, man. It makes me think that we like, obviously our culture, we want to empower women yeah. to take those opportunities that men have kind of hogged historically. Right. For sure. You know, we, we want yeah. more, I want more women who are CEOs. I want more women yeah. who are, you know, Amen. prime ministers. I want yeah. more women, you know, in leadership yeah. all throughout yeah. my life. Definitely. But for that to happen, we have to normalize men and dads yeah. actually becoming, you know, I- involved in those yeah. kind of caregiving activities. Like you can't yeah. have one without the other. Yeah. And it's, I, I feel like we sort of, we are comfortable with women now doing more leadership and more right. career stuff, but they still gotta they still gotta carry all of the domestic and emotional load. And it's True. like, nah, like we gotta <laughs> share it. We gotta share it both yeah, ways. Yeah. It's not just right. about men giving up maybe some work opportunities, it's about men yeah. stepping up, you yeah. know, in some of those spaces. But like you're saying, there's like this there's this cultural lag, right? Because people would be like, Oh yeah, yeah, we need we need more yeah. stay home dads. Yeah. But then, hey, what, what's this dude doing in the yeah. in the change room, like in the parents' yeah. room, man? <laughs> yeah. You know? And then the, the cultural dynamic of my mom saying like, son, that's not good for you to be at home. Right. <laughs> And, you know, to the point where, you know, she's had to even evolve in her own way of thinking, you know, because mm. she came from that era of, no, you, you stay home, you watch the kids, you, you know, you cook dinner for your for your man, you know, you have dinner ready, you fold the clothes, all of that. Mm. And one of the first things in our relationship that we used to laugh about all the time was I was on my way to a gig and I was with, uh, you know, my well, probably my fiance at the time, my wife. Um, and my mom looked at her and was like, "You're gonna, you're gonna fold his clothes, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and then she was straight, like, you know, no hesitation. No, he can do it himself. He's a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> and just that cultural, like, you know, difference of like, and you know, what was true for many generations was true for you know my parents' generation in that. And so, like you said, yeah, definitely cutting the slack. I mean, still there are certain issues that might, where my mom is still rethinking regarding myself being at home or choosing certain career paths that aren't really, you know, the breadwinning type or the, the, you know, taking risky options that aren't stable. And so, I mean, 
that that'd be another thing I would actually point to is choosing stable income as part of being a man. Yeah. Because um, like my, I mean, both of our worlds, like man, it's risky business. When it Bro, comes to I am fun. just, I'm just the <laughs> white Australian version of you. One hundred percent. Everything oh. you're saying <laughs> is actually is uncanny, right? Like we're both uh, creatives who work in the kind of community sector, yeah. have kids the same age, both pretty able to be present at home with the kids. Yeah. Um, it's hilarious. Man. So you work with a lot of young people that are probably living out some destructive versions of identity, not just a gender yeah. thing, right? Destructive versions of who they feel they have to be. Yeah. For the, for the young men that you work with, as well as for your two sons, the young men that are going to grow up with you as their dad, what would you love to see manhood look like, you know, 20 years from now for them? Definitely loving. I mean, at the forefront of my, you know, philosophy and belief, like my mantra is to be a contagious spirit of love. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I knew I knew you would like it actually, and I'm glad you asked me that question because I probably wouldn't have <laughs> remembered mm. to bring it up. But it's true. Like, I really want them to be a version of love that is so eternal that it it does nothing but uplift each other and mm. you know create positive paths that they knew, like they knew that did not ex- like exist beforehand. And so, yeah, definitely be that voice of, of peace, that voice of reason, hope, unity, but to also be an example, you know, we can, cause we can often sing it, talk it, preach it, but we can't always be the best examples of it. And so I think John Maxwell talks about, I'll paraphrase, but what I got out of it was you, we can be so good at correcting that we're bad at connecting. Mm. And so yeah, more than just having the right speech, I'd, the same way that I picked up from my father to just be that person of action, to be the real action man. You know, an action man's not the one doing the crazy missions. He's the one that's working on the small communities, being there with the people on the ground, but also being able to, to translate that if they were given a, a huge platform. Mm, man, so good. I mean, you know, like the kind of like underlying heart of this podcast is to ask the question, why can't there be more men who are characterized by kindness, mm. who are characterized mm. by contagious love, mm. um, who are, you know, and they can still be strong yeah. and they can still be successful in yeah. their career. That's yeah. fine. But but why can't they also be nurturing and, and gentle yeah. and, you know, all these other things. So, I, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I see a lot of that in you. You know, when I talk about what I would like to see for a next generation of young boys and men, if a bunch of them had a life that looked like yours, I'd be pretty stoked with that. Oh, man, that means a lot to me, brother. Um, I, I think it. I would probably say with everything that we're talking about, it might have something to do with uh, – because I, I had two strong parents, you know, both emotionally and spiritually. And so going back to what we were talking about, breaking down the walls of, you know, gender roles, I would, you know, it's, yeah, definitely seems to be unmanly and unnatural for us to take on that nature ability, that nurturing self. And, yeah, it is a shame because, yeah, at times I share with young people, males of like, man, just just tell them how you feel. 
or like mm. have you ever considered just just saying exactly what you said to me to them regardless mm. if it's their parent or their mother their father their uncle that they're living with and the amount of times they say no nah, i could never say that mm. it's often been um not so much that they've lacked that experience of receiving that love but just misunderstanding of what true love is mm. and so yeah, I think that's why I always bring it back to just yeah, being that contagious spirit of love that people can pass on or that they they get so in touch with it that even when they come across it, they will naturally share it because it just naturally sticks to them. And I often say, you know, stick to something until it sticks to you. And for me, I'm definitely thankful that's, that's the spirit of love. And um, yeah, I thank God for that for sure. It's awesome, man. Even, even just thinking about contagiousness, um, you know, it does make me think, Obviously, there's some global stuff that it makes me think about right now. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But 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 it actually actually makes me think that like if we want to kind of talk about destructive forms of um, people expressing themselves, you know, different kind of gender identities or whatever, toxic masculinity, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Like a lot of that is contagious. It's like, well, yeah. well, if the guys either side of me on my left and my right aren't going to talk about how they're feeling, and if they're yeah. going to kind of just shove that stuff down then i'll i'll do that as well i guess but but it goes the other way you know if the guys left and right of me are asking me how you doing three times how you doing how you doing how you doing man uh things are actually pretty tough right now i'm actually feeling some stuff i'd love to be able to bring out in the open then we're all we're all gonna feel like more like we can do that yeah and um yeah i i think just that permission giving in vulnerability talk about it a lot i'm sure i've talked about it on other episodes but when mm. one of us is vulnerable it gives others permission to be vulnerable when one yeah. of us is nurturing you know you you being a more like involved and present dad gives me more permission to be a more involved and right. present dad yeah. which is part of what you encountered when you were in that parent room getting funny looks was like <laughs> it wasn't normal enough yet right but the more people do it the more it becomes just like, of course he's in there. I don't know yeah. if you've seen, there's like that classic leadership video about the first follower. Like the, there's like this, this video of like a guy dancing on a hill. There's like thousands nah. of people on the hill. This guy starts dancing and he just looks like a fool. And then <laughs> after a while, somebody else comes up right. and starts dancing. <laughs> and then it's like a few more people jump in and suddenly the whole it's like a thing that actually happened. Like everybody awesome. on the hill starts dancing. But the whole idea is that actually the leader wasn't as big of a deal as the right. first follower. Because <laughs> the first follower normalizes what the leader's doing. At first, the yeah. leader's just a crazy nut. Man, who's, who's this crazy dad, you know, like, you know, breaking the the mold. But then yeah. somebody else goes, oh, Chang can do it. I can do it. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of normalizes it. So I love That's it, man. Awesome. Yeah. Love you heaps, brother. Same to you, man. I yeah. mean, oh man, even just that, like even just telling brothers you love them. Yeah. Because you know? we all know that. Like, and thankfully all of my brothers have no hesitation saying that like yourself, but just in that sentence alone, just mm. the awkwardness that some some brothers find in, in that sentence alone or being able to, to pass that on and project that is like, Oh, I can't, I can't say that. You know? Yeah. Well, man, it's been, a, it's been a, a beautiful wide ranging conversation. 
I'd love to, I'd love to give the final words to you. Maybe just, you know, I guess anyone who's, anyone who's pressed play on this is interested in healthy manhood. What would be your next step or kind of thought you'd want people to keep reflecting on? Yeah, I guess just to be a reflection of something that, that is beautiful, you know, being able to, to act in a particular way that, that shines light, that shines vulnerability, that it shines honesty and from a loving nature, from a loving perspective. And yeah, like, like we've been saying, just give each other that permission to be real without, you know, without cussing and without projecting with, you know, huge, huge volume. Mm. And so, um, but yeah, be a place of peace for people that people feel comfortable coming around you and just hang in. Sometimes the, the most powerful conversations I've had with people is in silence with, you know, tears mm. and just being there. And so, um, yeah, be that place of peace. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and developed by Lead by Story. Help us grow the conversation by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode around on your social media. I'd love to hear from you. What's your experience of manhood in the modern world? Drop me a message on Instagram or at leadbystory.com.au and let's have a chat. Catch you next time on Mankind.